Well, today we are finishing up our kick off the new year four week kind of vision oriented series that's been based on our starting point class. We've entitled this series Who We Are, and that's what we've been kind of walking through. And so this class was originally designed, remember, for our guests, people who need answers to the question of who we are because they're kind of feeling it a need to connect uh, to a church. And so this is the last one in of sessions from that class. And uh, it's important to get the full context to get the last three if you're interested in that. Um, also, I just want to promote that we offer the starting point class for, you know, a half day. The next one's coming in March. And so if you're interested or you know someone who would be interested, doing it in that smaller classroom interactive atmosphere is really, really beneficial and superior to just hearing it from here, in, in my opinion. So you're invited to come to that even if you have been with us through this and would like to interact a little more. So a week and a half ago, I was watching uh, one of the shows that I record and there's a scene where a, a military man who has suffered from some brain injury, uh, a common brain injury among our military, and he was struggling with that. And he had a good buddy, of course, that noticed it in him. And he was in a bit of denial and not wanting to deal with it, not wanting it to be true, understandably. And he took him to a man who used to be in the military who struggled with the same thing and went through that same process. And he surprised him. He took, surprised his friend going to this place. And, and his, his friend said no, and he was turning to leave. And the man who is down the road in recovering from this brain injury knows exactly what his brother in arms is going through. And he said, hey, listen, as he was leaving, he goes, hey, if you want, he said very peacefully, he wasn't offended that he was walking away or anything like that. He just said, hey, if you want to know my journey, I am happy to share it with you. And so the, the, the context of the movie, I just gave you enough there. What, what jumped, made my heart leap was that phrase. I went, that, that's our language. That's our language. We use that kind of language in Christianity. That if, if you want to know my journey, I'm happy to share it with you. Your life, according to Scripture, is perhaps best seen as a journey, right? It's, it's seen as a journey, and God wants your journey, your life, to be full with a certain kind of fullness. And he wants it to be aimed and end up at a certain destination. The Bible suggests the place that he wants you to end up at. We call it heaven, but it's, it's with him. That's what heaven is. It's with him. He is the destination. He's where he wants you to end up. And then that certain kind of fullness that he wants you to have in this life in the meantime is also the life that's with him. Right? It's with him. That's what he wants for you. And the Bible suggests all of that. And so today and in the last session of this class, I always want to encourage people very practically. The way you begin a relationship, a spiritual journey, or for some of you, continue a spiritual journey, is to commit your life to Christ, that is following Christ, and to connect your life to the life of a, of a group of Christ followers known as the church. That's what the Bible instructs us, where everyone is happy to share their journey. Right? If, if you would like, we're happy to share our journeys. 
And so we have a really simple but useful set of three words that we use in leadership to describe this journey. It's just simply called our discipleship pathway, if you remember what we've been talking about in this series. And it's just three words, connect, grow, go. And it's just our way of remembering that this is kind of what we want everyone to do. And and this connect, grow, go, it serves us through two lenses as well. On the one hand, it serves us with our goal personally and our goal for others with Jesus, right? We want people to connect to Jesus. We want people to grow with Jesus. And eventually, we want them to go on behalf of Jesus. Paul calls it a, him an ambassador, calls us ambassadors of Christ. But then, simultaneously, these three words work in terms of our relationship with the church. Connect, we want people to connect to a church. We want people to grow with that church and then to go on behalf of, or maybe better, in partnership with that church. So connect, grow, go is just our shorthand for this journey that we want to be on ourselves and that we are after everyone to be on because we believe it's the best possible life. It's the life with God which is the best possible life. And it leads to the ultimate destination. And that's heaven. That's that place with God. And so the way to continue your spiritual journey or begin it, but also to continue it. So this fits everyone in here is to commit to Jesus Christ and to connect to the life of a church. And that's even if you have been committed to Christ for a long time, it's still the same answer. If you want to continue in your journey, you commit to Christ daily. So today, I want to tell you how to do both and why you should. So question number one is, how does a human being, how does someone commit to Christ? And here's the quick answer. The quick answer is you believe and receive his message. Remember, he's told us why he's come. He says the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And we know what was lost. It was life right? He says in another place, in John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And that includes life now and the assurance of life eternal. He wants you to have all that. And he has a message. He has a message to deliver to you that gets you that. There's a message that he carries all the way from heaven, all the way to earth. And he carries that message. So what is it? That message is called the gospel. It's called the gospel message. That word gospel means good news. That's the Greek word is, is, is gospel. It means good news. So every time you read gospel in scripture, you can replace it with good news and that would be entirely appropriate. And this good news you need to understand is a story. It's a story. The good news is the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the good news. It's embedded in that story. There's lots of meanings and implications of the gospel, but the gospel at its core is a story. That's the good news. And this story is the most important story in the Bible. A lot of people like to say the gospel is the whole Bible. It's not. The Bible contains the gospel. All the rest is leading up to and pointing to and pointing us back to the gospel. The gospel stands above all the great stories of the Bible as the most important, as of first importance. This is the most important story 
in the Bible. Now, how do I know that? I know it is the story that if you believe it, it's the story if you're a Christian that that is what you've believed. That's what you received. It's the story upon which you've put your feet and you've taken your stand if you're a Christian. It's the story by which you are saved. And I know this because my Bible tells me that. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel. There it is. The good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this good news, this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance. There it is. As of first importance. What is it, Paul? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. So that's why. That's why this story stands head and shoulders above all the Bible stories. It's not all the Bible stories that we've believed in in order to take our stand. It's the gospel story. And they all point to that and echo that, depending on what angle you're coming from, before or after. Now, that's why the gospel story is the most important. Here is why it's good news, okay? It's because there's a problem. Now, this problem, you have it, I have it. It is a universal problem. Everyone has this problem, and it's called sin. So I think we inherently know this. If we sin is just the word for missing the mark, right? Missing the mark. I think we know this as human beings without any Bible at all that we miss the mark. There's something in us, some internal compass that lets us know we're not perfect. But if you need scripture for it, it says it clearly. Romans three twenty three. It says it's universal. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a big problem. It's a worldwide, global problem. And in case someone wants to push against that, not me, I haven't sinned. Well, 1 John comes in on its heels and says in verse verse 8 of chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Now, if it just ended there, that that if these verses ended there, that's, that's just bad news. There's nothing good about it. But fortunately, there's a solution There's a solution to this problem, and it's the work of Jesus. That's the gospel story. The death, burial, and resurrection. The death, burial, and resurrection did something, intervened on this, and so these sentences continue. Yes, all have sinned and fall short, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's Romans 3.24. And then in 1 John 1, 9, yes, in 8, it says, if we claim to be without sin, that's wrong and the truth's not in us. But if we confess that, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And he doesn't just stop there. He'll purify us too of all unrighteousness. This is a powerful, life-altering, soul-saving work that has been done in the gospel. So you see why it's of first importance and you can see why it's good news. And just to take it to the next level, something I preach to you all the time, it's good news because it's a free gift. 
You don't earn it. How do I know that? Well, Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift. It's the gift of God. And just in case you don't get what he means by gift, he adds, not by works. Not by works. A lot of us have tried to earn it. That's just tiring. And it doesn't work. So believing seems to trigger all of the kingdom reality. Believing his message. You don't earn it. Rather, you choose to receive it. And so that's the big question then. How do you receive it? How do you receive it? We need to believe it and receive it. And so we've already talked about a little bit of this, right? If we confess our sins, right? He's faithful to forgive us. We confess that we need him. But believing is the big one. That's the big starting point. He came down with a message. And if you don't believe it, you're not going to enjoy it. And so I put this in, in kind of first person, okay? To where you say it. It's you claiming. Belief is saying, I am forgiven. John 3, 16 has got to be one of the most famous verses in all of humanity. It's put up behind the football posts and on TV sometimes. Have you seen that guy that goes to the different NFL games, puts it up? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever works real hard will not perish. Nope. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so that's one of the ways we receive it is by believing it. Another way, once we believe, it comes quite naturally is we repent. You repent of your old life. Putting in the first person, it's the realization, I don't have to sin. Not, I can't sin. Right? Remember, sin is a lie. Making promises of life that don't come true. I don't have to sin. I can be freed from that. I can turn around. This is what repentance is, by the way, if you need a visual. It's just changing the trajectory of your life to align with your belief. There's so many verses, but Luke 5, 32 says, has Jesus saying, I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, back to that, you don't earn it thing. So anyone in here that's righteous, this message is not for you. Christianity's not for you. If you are indeed good enough to get to heaven, you don't need to be a Christian. Okay? It's, not, it's not even designed for you. It's for those of us who are sinners. That's who it's for. Your sin does not disqualify you from the gospel. Your sin uniquely qualifies you for the gospel. Only God would do that. Only God would do that. And it gives me chill bumps at how good this news is. That your sin is good news because it qualifies you for the gospel. Now, only God can redeem things that much. And so repenting is another way that we receive this good news. And by baptism, calling on his name. Baptism is this awesome, you know, this descent into the water and then coming back out of the water. In Romans chapter 6 explains the awesomeness of this act of reception. Okay, it says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There it is, the gospel. That story, remember the story, the gospel is what saves you. And so that story is, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. When you're baptized, you are actually participating 
You are receiving his death. You're going into the water to stay there. Not any more than he stayed there. You are coming out of the water and into the new life. He says, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. None of these are intended. They're to be one-time events. They are, there's a, there's a moment when usually for most of us, when we believe, when we believe. There's a moment when we make a decision to, to turn our trajectory into a different direction. There's a moment in particular where we get up in that water and we receive Christ through baptism, being clothed by him. But it's, it's also, there's also a journey part of it too. An abundance to it. A transformation to it. It's called sanctification in scripture, if you need a Bible word for it. It's the believer's life. You believe. There's time when you start believing, but then it's the believer's life. And you'll never finish working to believe this good news. I know tons of Christians who think they gotta earn it. Maybe you. We're still gonna learn to believe. Grace covers that too, by the way. Grace covers that too. You're not earning it. It's the believer's life. It's the repentant life. It's the baptized way of life. So that's how you commit to Christ. But once you do, you also need something else. You need to connect to the life of a church. As I was sitting there reflecting on our worship songs and the gospel that you were singing, it was just awesome. And I thought, man, I've had my issues and stuff, but the abundance of my life, I can, I can, I started thinking how much of it is because of these twin crutches, we'll say they are, that, or, or walking poles or whatever. Jesus and the church. Jesus and the church. So much of the abundance of my life is because of that home base that I have. Jesus and the church. Now, Jesus is perfect. The church isn't. But it's perfect for me. It's perfect for me. And it's being perfected. I don't need it to be perfect. I've got Jesus for that. But I do need church. I need some fellow sinners who believe and repent and have been baptized and are living that new way of life. The Bible's clear on that. Every Christian is intended to be a member of a church family. Your relationship with Jesus is personal. There's something about your relationship with God through Jesus that God's jealous of. No one else can have it. It's his. So there is an individual element to your relationship with God and with Jesus that can't be touched. And if you try to let someone else in on that, God gets jealous. God's the only one that can get jealous and it'd be good, right? And he'd be, it'd be right. No, he wants something special with you. But the Bible also teaches, Jesus also teaches and models for us that your relationship with Jesus is not merely personal, It's not just individual. There's a communal aspect too. When he called his disciples who were going to then be sent ones to continue his work, he didn't call one. He called 12. We call that the first small group, remember? And, And he did it communally. And a lot of his commands and then the letters talk about things that we're supposed to practice in our personal faith that require others. Why would that be so? 
Just as an example of this in Hebrews 10, way back from youth ministry days, this is underlined in my old Bible, I call these the lettuce commands. I don't like lettuce personally, but these are the lettuce commands because there's five commands in this little this section that are let us, okay? And it says, let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together. Let us encourage one another. Notice the us and the we here. It's embedded in it. He doesn't say, hey, draw near to God, each of you. Let us draw near to God. He doesn't say, hey, you hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. You should do that. But he doesn't say that here. He says we. It's a, it's a profession that we make. And then the last three can't even be obeyed by yourself. You must have fellow followers to do this with, fellow professors to do this with. That's called church. So you need church. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, Paul goes on when he really goes to town on describing the church. He says it's like a body. He uses the example of body. He also talks about it, us being the body of Christ. And I love that because, you know, God came in the body of Jesus Christ and We call that the incarnation. And then the church is still the incarnation of Christ because we are now the body of Christ. He used to be there, but now he's in all of us. I love that part, but that's not this part. That's just for free. This part is where he talks about the body as an example of the church, of the local church, that everyone has a part to play, just like your hand has a part to play and your knee has a part to play and your eye and and your nose. Every and, And they can't all be the same thing. He talks about that. But then he says this, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Get this. In fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. This is, this is cool to me because I bet you thought it was all on you when you were church shopping. I bet you thought you were just looking for a church that satisfied you. No. If you're doing it right, God is arranging the parts of the body right where he wants them to be. He's putting you in your local church. This is why we at Southwest don't have a tight grip on everyone in the city placing membership here. We don't want everyone to place membership here. We want everyone to place membership where God is arranging them to be. And if that's here, we are eager. We're eager to know why did God send you to us? What part of the body was missing because you weren't here? And so it's, it's messy. It's difficult, but it's worth it. Journeying together, figuring out how God is making us more like Christ's body by bringing new people to us. So, you need Jesus and you need the church. That's how you continue your spiritual journey. It's by committing to Jesus and by connecting yourself intimately to the life of a church. It's part of the deal. So let me, let me finish where I finish in this um, class. And by I say finish, I still got a few minutes here, so don't start wrapping up yet. Family expectations of the Southwest Church. Okay, what are, what are our expectations? We have expectations of each other. Sometimes we're like, woo, what's your expectation? You know, whatever. But they're not mean or demanding. They're beneficial. They're useful. 
And it's important for you to know if you're going to be adopted into a family, what are some of the family expectations? But we'll go farther than that. We'll tell you why they're there. Okay, we'll tell you why they're there and why they're good. So the first expectation, I put these in the first person as well. So this is kind of what you're committing to if you're a part of the Southwest Church family. First, I will gather with my church family. I will gather. And we have two ways in particular. There's other ways to do it, but two ways that we really highlight for each other that are kind of expectations. Attend our weekly services and join a small group. Those are kind of two of the ways. Now, why? Why are those our expectations? They're not just random. Remember the connect, grow, go? These keep you connected. I'm telling you, over and over again, when I get phone calls from people who feel disconnected, it many, many times it's because they're not coming to our family dinner, okay, on Sunday mornings, and they're not getting together with their small group. And so they feel disconnected, okay? And so this is one of the things that, we have a healthy expectation. If you place membership today, you don't got to be in a small group tomorrow. All right? It's hard. It's, again, it's messy. It's just worth it to find that few people, the few people that, with whom you're going to walk with Jesus together a little more, bit more empty. Empty. Intimately. Intimately. And so you have the benefit of the larger church family, and then you have the benefit of that smaller church family. So I will gather with my church family. That keeps you connected. Second expectation is I will grow with my church family. You have to decide. This is one of those things in the spiritual life that's different than in your physical body's life. Your physical body, when you're a child, is going to grow, whether you think about it or attend to it or not. Now, the health of your growth depends on how you attend to it. But in spiritual life, you will not grow unless you attend to it. Unless you decide I will grow with my church family. So what does that mean? That means you have a desire to become like Christ. Again, I don't know why anyone would join the Southwest Church if they didn't want to become more like Christ. If they didn't want to change, if they're coming here to stay the same, this isn't the church for you. This isn't it. This isn't what we're not after that. We're after becoming ever increasingly more like Christ. So a desire to become more like Christ is an expectation that we have of each other. And then... We have the expectation that you will do what helps you become like Christ. We offer lots of ideas for this, but, but really, you have to take advantage of those ideas. Whether it's a study, or a class, or a special event, or a book recommendation, something. Your own personal Bible study. You need to decide that you will grow with your church family. If you're gonna, and this, we have this expectation, not just frivolously. It's for sure not to earn your salvation. It's remember, connect, grow, go, grow. This keeps you growing. This is an expectation that keeps you growing. Which, by the way, since we do offer so many things, this is a good time to pause and remind you what we're starting next week. Next week, if you weren't here last week, we are going to start a little walk with Jesus, specifically through the book of Luke. Okay, so you remember our, we, our vision statement is to love first. And last year, we really focused on some sermon series that talk about what that looks like generally and specifically. Then our second one is becoming like Jesus and then advancing his mission. So this year, we decided as a vision team, we wanted to do something a little more intentional to become more like Jesus. Well, the way to become like Jesus is to set our eyes on Jesus, to set our minds on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So we're gonna take six months or so and we're going to walk with Jesus 
through the book of Luke. Now, you can just show up and hear the results of my study. And I hope that's helpful to you by God's grace and through his Holy Spirit. But in line with our expectation, I hope you will do what it takes to grow. And so we are offering another help or telling you about it at least, this book called Luke for Everyone. It's by N.T. Wright, and he walks through the book of Luke in little bitty bites. Okay, if you want to get ahead, we have a few copies of this out there. You can buy that for 10 bucks, but we don't have enough for everybody, so you might want to order this on Amazon. It might even be a little cheaper there, and you can get this. If you want to start and get ahead, it's the first three entries, the first half of, the, of Luke chapter one, his first three entries or what I will limit myself to. And I will not cover all that's in here, right? I will pluck something, hopefully useful and orienting for the book of Luke that introduces us to Jesus, a takeaway that I felt in my personal study that I'll offer to you, and I hope that does good. But if you would jump in and study the book of Luke and get to know Jesus, that will be way more rewarding than you hearing about my study. And then if you want to take it to another level, All these levels are adequate, okay? They're good, but there's just more levels. If you want to be led through your individual study or if you'd like your small group or you want to start a small group or you want to do it with your family, okay? Then N.T. Wright has 26 studies for individuals and groups, okay? And you just go right through here and he will walk you through the study of this. This is a study in and of itself. Very accessible, not too much time, but big time payoff. So we have some of these. Ryan is invested in some of these at Small Group Central. If you would like one of those today, you can go by there and get that as well. All right, so I'll gather with my church family. I will grow with my church family. And then those are expectations of us, of each other. Those are loving, good expectations. And then I will share the mission of my church family. Now, what do we mean by that? By finding my ministry. Doesn't have to be a big one, but it can be a big one. It can also be a small one, but you're supposed to play a part in this deal. You're supposed to not just love first, not just become like Jesus, but advance his mission. And so we want to help you find your ministry, and we expect you to eventually share in the mission by finding your ministry. Also, through your generous financial support. There's a whole series of teachings from Jesus on our relationship with money and how kingdom investment is the most important investment. And we as a church family, just like an individual family, all contributes to the family life. We all contribute to the family life. And we share in that mission. And then, of course, by becoming a love first person, by that transformation. All gets back to that transformation and becoming like Jesus. This, by the way, keeps you going. That's why we expect these things. They keep you going. Connecting, almost forgot, connecting, growing, going. One more protection, one more expectation that's a big deal to us because it was a super big deal to Jesus. And that is, I will protect the unity of my church family. Unity is one of Jesus' big deals. I mean, at prime time, right? When he is praying to God right before he's about to be crucified, that's the major theme of his prayer. One of the longest prayer content we have from Jesus is that one right there. And he prays for the unity of all believers. That's one of his big deals. He says that the world will know that we are from Christ 
by our unity. So unity is a big deal to him. Unity is a big deal to us. So we ask you, and our expectation is that you will act in unity, even with the people in here you don't get along with that well. That you act in unity, because we have a way more in common than we have uh, different. So by acting in love and truth toward members, that's a big, important part that we expect of each other. And by faithfully submitting to our shepherd's lead. Right? They, we have a plurality of leadership here. There's no senior prime minister or elder here. We work in a plurality. Just humbly. Hopefully Christ is the head. And we are his servants as we lead this body. But our elders, I'm telling you, I say this without any hesitation at all. Hebrews says it too. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Now, we're in a day and age where that sounds a little uh, strong, you know, obedience to someone, submission to someone. We think that that's just a little strong, but it's a loving invitation that's being offered to a church family. Okay, it's a loving invitation. It's useful. And I can tell you without hesitation, I have lived in submission to the elders here, to different generations of elders here for almost 18 years now. And it has been nothing but beneficial for me. It has been nothing but beneficial for me. And Hebrews promises that. Obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. And for that would be of, for if it was a burden to them, that would be of no advantage to you. So there's this beautiful relationship that our elders offer this body. And I'm telling you, without hesitation, they're not perfect. They're just good. They are good. They are Christ-like. They exalt Jesus. They are about his kingdom. And they are good. And you can do it safely without hesitation. So let me, as we finish up here, let me ask those elders and their spouses and our ministers to go ahead and move around the room here. Again, we do this up in the balcony and down here on the floor just so that you can see some of these that are willing, that have put themselves out there, that have answered the call, said, I will shepherd your flock, Jesus. And so if you need a touch today or if you have questions about any of this or you want to join us or you want to join Jesus in baptism, you just come and visit with them and they will walk you right through that. You might just need a prayer. So an invitation is being offered to you today. It's a, it's a big one. It's, it's worth considering because it's impactful if you'll receive it. And this invitation is constantly being offered, but it's particularly today. And it's an invitation to follow Jesus, to believe him, to receive him. Will you? Will you? And if not, why not? Paul, when he was sharing in, in the book of Acts, he shares his testimony two or three times. He just tells the story of when he first believed. He has more conversion all through his life, like I said, but he talks about that momentous first time. And, he, and when he was sharing it, he had this servant of God come to him and explain to him what was happening to him and what the gospel is. And he, he remembers this guy asking him that question. And so it's in scripture, Acts twenty two sixteen. He looks at Paul and says, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. What are you waiting for? There is no negative to this deal. There's nothing negative. Now, it'll cost you your life. But it replaces it, I don't care how good it is, with a better one. 
with a fuller one, with the right destination. It puts you in line with the journey. It gives you the help that you need to have abundant life now. That's Jesus and his church. And so in addition to the Jesus invitation, there's that other invitation, and that's to this church. If this is resonating with you, if you need a church home, if you're searching for that, that invitation is being offered. We want you to connect with the church that God is arranging you to be a part of. And if that's here, we can't wait to meet you. We can't wait to help you integrate in the church. Will you? Will you? There's no negative to this deal. It's all good. It's messy, but out there it's messy too. It's just in here we've got the power of the gospel. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit backing us up, helping us, and with the power of some serious loving relationships. How would you like to be in relationship with a group of people who their stated priority in any interaction with you is before they do anything else, is to love you first? I know those are the kind of people I want to be around. I got plenty of things about me that aren't very loving. It's a lot easier to have friendship, brotherhood, sisterhood, family, when love is first, even to change those things comes better after that love first. That is no negative to this deal. We're not perfect, but we're trying to be good, trying to be God. So if we can help you, we want to help you. So draw close to him, guys. That's what Jesus came to do, is to draw you close to him now and then perfect intimacy for eternity. That's the call. That's the invitation. If we can help you with that in any way, please come. Let's stand. Let's sing.